All right, hello everyone, and welcome to another 20 Mile Podcast with your hosts, Gabriel Barsante and myself, Mike Williams. We're excited again to have another great founder here today to talk about their Founders March. And we're here today with Brandon Wright, founder and CEO of Barnacle. Barnacle is a team of three full-time employees right here in Victoria, BC. They've also employed a couple of contractors, six or so. How long has Barnacle been around for? Uh, we incorporated July of 2017. Okay, so pretty fresh. Yeah. And a little more about uh, Brandon. He was raised in beautiful Comox, BC, so a little bit up the island. He moved to Victoria originally to go to school at UVic. And he's living here with his wife and four-year-old daughter, which I'm sure keeps him pretty busy. Brandon's background, he has a degree in electrical engineering. And his original career path was in homeland security for royal families. So hopefully we'll touch a little bit on that. Hobbies that Brandon likes, uh, very uh, West Coast-esque uh, hobbies. Uh, surfing, rock climbing, golf, hockey, tennis, sports of all types. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, Brandon considers his superpower to be thriving in chaos, which is pretty uh, valuable skill to have anytime you're starting a company and, or starting a family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And now uh, I'll hand it off to Gabe. Welcome, Brendan. Thanks for being here with us. My pleasure. So, part of us is getting quite a bit of attention. You guys have very interesting products. Mm-hmm. Um, can, what can you tell us about the, the company when you guys have started and what do you do? Yeah, yeah. So, the product itself is security and monitoring for boats. And it all came about after my boat had broken moorage in January of 2017, which the boat is on anchor uh, in Mill Bay, so about an hour away from here, floated to shore and never told me. And so with my background, which we can get into in a little bit in security and monitoring, I just went out and looked for a product that I could place on my boat and send me alerts if something went wrong. And so as I was looking around for the products, I just saw this huge gaping hole, just the good old fashioned product management gap in the market. I was like, oh my gosh, here we go. So (laughs) yeah, we monitor uh, for security. We have a camera with motion sensor. But we also monitor your batteries, your bilge pump, which is pushing water off of the boat, high water alarms, and a unique feature for us is impact monitoring. So if someone bumps into your boat at dock, you'll get a notification. Or for a charter company, when you rent out a boat, you'll know the health of that vessel before it comes back. So um, yeah, that's Barnacle. It's security and monitoring for boats. Sounds pretty interesting event that kicked everything off. So like mm-hmm. someone called you like, hey, listen, I see your boat here, yeah. can you get it? <laughs> yeah, so um, my boat's moored in front of my folks' place. Um, they've got a nice little spot on the water in Mill Bay. Mm-hmm. So I thought, what better place to moor my boat than in front of my parents' house? Like they can keep an eye on it, they can check on it if I need to, they can go on board. And I moved it from the Oak Bay Marina where it was close to my house. and. Sure enough, uh, 3 a.m. in the middle of the night, I get a call from my dad being like, hey, son. I'm like, oh, hey, dad, what's going on? Three in the morning, and he's like, boat's on the beach. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so yeah, we ended up tying up a, a, a rope from the boat to a mooring uh, out in the water, and then winching the boat slowly, just grinding it off the beach manually. So it was literally just a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you come to Ubik after lived in Comox, smaller yep. town, come to Ubik, mm-hmm. you study electric engineering, yep. get into the tech industry, mm-hmm. and then how did you get started with Homeland Security for Royal Families? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've had a very strange career path. So I uh, did a year of college in Comox, wanted to become a doctor, really wanted to become a neurosurgeon. So I learned that the fastest path to neuroscience and neurosurgery as a doctor is to go into electrical engineering. 
So did that, got a co-op position while I was an electrical engineer at PBA Engineering, which is a local firm, uh, which is now PBX Engineering, but um, they were doing transportation type stuff, so life safety systems for highways. So did several very significant projects uh, in California where we could monitor fog and automatically detect traffic accidents. Then that company got acquired by a company called ICX, which stood for IC everything, X mm. being the variable. Mm -hmm. And then it got into more security type stuff. And then that company got acquired by a company called FLIR, which is one of the world leaders in thermal cameras and imaging. And so as those acquisitions happened, I just found these paths where getting into that corporate life, I didn't want to be like a cog. I really wanted to not be on that corporate staircase. I wanted to be in the corporate elevator. So I'd find these opportunities where if I wanted to advance my career very quickly, I could volunteer myself to do these outrageous projects where I got sent to Abu Dhabi, I got sent to doing work for the NSA, like all these literally outrageous projects that no one really wanted to do because you had to commit seven weeks of your time per project where you're just on site and you're gone. So for me, when I was like 22, 23, it's like, yep, sign me up. And, uh, yeah, it, I just kind of snowballed from there. Um, and as I was doing that, uh, especially the Middle East stuff, I found these opportunities where, okay, I did like a, a security project for uh, the border of Qatar and Saudi Arabia. That was very cool. It was a surveillance vehicle that uh, I was a systems engineer on. And then kind of became that last man standing where the project manager for that, or program manager even for that, those projects, they would get yelled at by the generals that were in charge of the, the job and they just would be away for so long and their families didn't enjoy them being away for so long so they all kind of quit. And then all of a sudden I'm literally that last man standing on site where it's like, okay, I'm now in charge of sign off. I'm in charge of client relationship with like a three star general in Qatar. I'm now the main point person for all the soldiers and all the communications between our system and the the actual control center which is protecting either the border of a country or a military base. And how many years of I guess of experience do you have at this point? Yeah, so it, it happened over the course of about seven years. Okay. So it's not like it just happened overnight, <laughs> that's for sure. But um, yeah, the projects included the border of Qatar and Saudi Arabia doing this mobile surveillance, uh, protecting a World Heritage Site in Qatar, mm -hmm. protecting the King of Dubai's private island, uh, which is part of the Palms that you can see from space. Then I got to do some work more in the United States where we kind of got to bid on projects and kind of pick which ones we wanted to be a part of. So I wanted to be closer to home, so I did some work with the NSA doing perimeter surveillance for some of their facilities. And being Canadian, they it's very funny how we're there doing the perimeter security, but they won't give you the security clearances to know what's going on inside. Oh. So we're there protecting it all, but we're not allowed <laughs> to know what's actually going on. <laughs> which was very funny, but um, yeah, and then things kind of escalated from there. The company I was working for, FLIR, they did uh, a large portion of the, this invisible wall on the US-Mexico border. So it's these surveillance vehicles that could see up to 30 kilometers in any direction across the border. They have all these vehicles up and down that border. And um, I was a systems engineer for that. Uh, didn't spend a ton of time on, along that border, but uh, I did get to present that system to the retired US Secretary of Defense on how to properly protect a border through security and different monitoring techniques. And so, um, yeah, then to end that whole career path at FLIR, 
I was doing a project at the border of Saudi Arabia and Yemen, again for the United States this time, uh, thinking that I was going to get to stay closer to home. I get shipped out there and I had to sleep in a sea can. So like one of those basically sea cans that would be in transit from China to Canada on a, on a big freighter. And it was basically retrofitted with like a water tank on the roof in the middle of summer. And we slept in this thing that had air conditioning. And it was just a nightmare. So um, did that project, found out it was a drone base while I was there. Didn't have the clearance to know before I went there. And then two weeks after I left, found out I was having a kid and then found out two days after I was gonna have a kid that uh, someone went in and blew up the site, yeah. one of the entry pass. So it's like, all right, well, that's a sign. I'm having a kid, I can't be away from home, and there's been a very significant incident. So yeah, that was my career in a nutshell, doing that security and monitoring. So then I left that job and became a product manager, first a project manager, but then a product manager at Forest Technology Systems here in okay. Victoria. And then launched two products with them, uh, a radar level sensor for detecting floods automatically, so kind of a smart cities type of product, and then uh, a camera system called the RAOS, which is a remote automated observation system for forest fire monitoring. So being able to remotely monitor from mountaintops, whether it's cellular or satellite, um, a scene so that firefighters didn't have to be out there in the line of danger. So, so yeah, that's, a bit, that's my path. Wow, to, to quite, quite, quite a story, quite yeah. a background you got there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, over the years, you really gathered, you came from an engineering background, but you gathered this huge experience on many different kinds of products with hardware as well as yep. systems, and, and product management in general, from small to big, very large projects. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And so my, <clears throat> my background, I, I probably started coding when I was like nine or 10. It's just like really into software, and I actually went, I chose electrical engineering as well because I wanted to get away from code. Mm. So that's all I did. Like that was my, my like fun nerdy like stay up late, build websites, do all this stuff, and uh, yeah. So I got into electrical engineering to get away from it. But it turns out that systems engineering is like 50-50 <laughs> software and hardware. So yeah, I've got a strong background now in both. And what final was the, the transition like for you as an engineer into the product, and then now as a company as you start. Yeah. Team. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, yeah, becoming a product manager at FTS was incredibly valuable. I had a really excellent mentor there, Alan DeChantis, who um, he was a product manager at uh, BlackBerry previously, and so he had these really strong foundations in product management and really helped guide me to understand product and listening to the market and understanding what your customers need before you actually move forward. So when I started Barnacle. My boat's a 27-foot sailboat. I've got a house battery bank, starter battery bank. I don't have a bilge pump on board. I've got a manual bilge. So I built a prototype for my boat. But what we have now is a product that fits everyone else's boat, not the needs that I want. So when I was pitching the product, we went through iteration after iteration after iteration of my prototype, got it on the boats, iterated on my product, like on the one that was on my boat, to the point where it's like, okay, like this is actually what we need and this is what the customers want. So, so that foundation of like building the product and iterating was key for, for Barnacle. You did some dog fooding, quote unquote, on your own boat beforehand yep. and then start testing different kinds of boats. Yeah, exactly. So I'd go and pitch it to like the, um, the what was he, the GM of operations of the Oakway Marine Group, mm -hmm. uh, who is now our sales guy. 
<laughs> the company. But uh, it's, it's funny, like I went out, went to all these different people and I thought, okay, I know exactly what you want. I went and got a, did a Facebook survey uh, for 25 bucks. I did a Facebook ad and pointed at a Google form. Mm -hmm. I had 250 people click on the link. It was just like, answer questions about security for your boat. And 250 people responded, gave all the things that they wanted to monitor on their boats. And I learned two things. I learned one that 250 people clicked on my link <laughs> off of Facebook for like this simple question. Like, man, there is obviously a need for this product if people are doing that. Mm -hmm. And then I got all this wonderful information of all the features that are most important to all these people. So I literally took that, put it into an MRD, a market requirements document, figured out my buyer personas, I figured out all my sort of business plan type things, but more from a product side, I figured out all the features and their significance and relevance to the product before actually really going for it. Yeah. And did you, um, are you guys bootstrapping when you guys first got started? Yeah. Still yeah. Yep. Yep. So um, I I bought a house in Victoria when I was 24, I believe. So that was uh, almost nine years ago now. And then the house is doubled in price. Yeah. So uh, when I started the company, uh, my my daughter was two at the time, I believe, and obviously I have a wife and everything. Um, yeah, I just took out a line of credit. I have just kind of gone for it. We got a little bit of support from family as well too, as a loan, um, but. Yeah, there's no equity that's been given out. So, um, yeah, and we bootstrapped very much on purpose too. Like I thought that when you start a startup or a company that you pitch, you get investment and you go. Like that's, I thought that that was like the standard. I've listened to so many podcasts, read so many books, and I thought that I was the most educated person in doing this. And then my uh, mentor through Viatech, uh, Mark Grambart, was like, first question he asked is, do you want to sell this company? I was like, well, like it's in boats, like boats are awesome. It's in security. I know this very well and I love doing all the surveillance stuff. I could see myself doing this for 30, 40 years. Like there's no reason why I would sell this company if I'm really enjoying it or making good revenue. But um, yeah, if I wanted to stay and keep the company um, as a private company, like I obviously can't take investment because you're instantly stepping foot on that fast train to eventually selling or IPO. So yeah, we talked a little bit about that before we got going in the podcast. We talked a little bit about a purpose-driven company, mm -hmm. which I'd like to hear your comments on on that. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, you, you're, you know, you hear people talk about a lifestyle business. Yeah. And you know, if if you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. a lifestyle business falls into that. How yeah. do you kind of bring those two together? If you are gonna, like you're talking yeah. about owning a company for thirty to forty years, I'm like, man, that seems like a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, yeah, maybe I can't you can even talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I can't even comprehend thirty or forty years. <laughs> Thirty-two right <laughs> now, I'm turning thirty-three. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, the lifestyle business, I'm I'm still extremely competitive. Like I didn't get to where I am right now without having that drive. Like within Fleer, within all my career, I've always had these goals that I've set out for myself, even in sports, like I've always wanted to win, which uh, I do it in, with a smile on my face, of course, and not trying to like damage anyone around me. But uh, yeah, I, I do though want to have a thriving business. Um, we've won startup of the year for Biotech last year for 2018. We just won Pacific Yachting's uh, most innovative product, which the runner up we found out was Garmin with one of their products. So like we're going after this big market where we could have that exceptional growth. We could be a 
I don't think we could be a unicorn. Maybe we could be a unicorn. I don't know, but I still don't see us. I still, at this very second, I don't see it being a company that I want to get investment on simply because I know that I would have to likely do that 16 hour day or 12 hour day. And I'm pretty strict myself that my family comes first, my wife, my daughter. So I'm, I'm out the door by say eight o'clock, 7.38 in the morning. Then I'm home by five being a dad, like dad's number one. And then in the evening I'll respond to emails. I'll catch up on things. But, um, it's that whole 20 mile march. Like the whole purpose of this is I've made it very strict that even if it's a nasty time within the business, I'm still working those hours. If it's a really exciting time in this business, I'm still working those hours because my focus is making sure that my life personally is healthy because I know that my health is going to directly reflect on the health of the company, especially being like the sole founder and CEO of the business. So. Yeah. I think it's really interesting when people talk about like work life balance as, as yeah. if there's like, a separation right mm -hmm. and, and for me i you know i try to do you know monday to friday nine to yeah. five ish and totally. i like the shift from being i'm at work and now i'm mm -hmm. dad yeah right totally. but it's it really is an integration and like you just said right like they're like your health mental health physical health yeah well-being mm -hmm. is going to have an impact on the company and it's the same for all your yeah. employees right absolutely so i'm just kind of curious how you how you manage that and how do you like mm -hmm. kind of not overdo it or not take it home with you? Yeah, yeah. So I I can't lie. Like I mean, I do take it home with me and it does stress me out. And uh, I mean, I think that so even one of my customers, uh, one of our customers is a psychiatrist, and uh, like our boaters have been quite affluent and buying the product. And he went to one of my seminars where I talked about my background and the security and all that. And he's like you've been through some serious trauma in your history, right? I was held at gunpoint once oh uh, in the God. Middle East. I've been under severe bomb threat where we we're in a bunker and everything. Like that's the whole thriving and chaos piece where I feel like I've been through all this extreme stuff and I've got this weird ability to like kind of the water off a duck's back or whatever the, mm -hmm. the thing is. So I do take it home with me. It does stress me out, but, um, I just also try and reflect very consciously that this is the business, it's an entity, it's not me as an individual, and I need to maintain that separation. Yeah, and I think that's so so uh, important too, right? I, like I personally feel like I've married myself into the mm -hmm. company, and I am this company. Yeah. And, and that's just such a dangerous thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm very consciously trying to keep that separate because I love boating, and I worry that if... I do too much with my company, I might just not boat as much. Like I just right. worry that like getting into the boating industry is gonna cause me to do less of that. <laughs> so it's, yeah, no, I, I very, I, I consciously have to think about it though. It's not something that's organically happened. Like when I first started Barnacle, I certainly did do the 3 a.m.s and I did do the like panic because it's like, I just quit my job. I don't have money. I don't have, my, my wife was doing web design stuff like it holy cow, like what have I just done? And I have no fallback right now other than this big line of credit that is gonna eventually run out. So right. yeah, I did panic and do that, but realize that that doesn't help. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a big step, right? And it's really yeah. easy to get drowned, 
like drown yourself in, yeah. in the worry and the what ifs. Absolutely. And the big thing for me that's been incredibly beneficial is the support from obviously my wife and my daughter who doesn't really know what's going on, but uh, <laughs> she knows that I make barnacles. She knows uh, that I go and play, like I do boat toys is really what she thinks I do. My wife is incredibly supportive, like I said, like I couldn't do it without her. Like it's insane what she's sacrificed and she's stepped up. Like she's been basically funding the household through her web design company right. called It's Gary L. Big plug. <laughs> <laughs> Doing uh, that kind of stuff. But, uh, and then my folks, obviously, like my parents are incredible. My, my sister and her husband and her, uh, like it's just, yeah, I've had such great support. And then Viatech, like I wouldn't be here without the support of the people around me. Like yeah. I would be... If I, if I was to do it all by myself without having any idea, without any advice, I would have gone for investment, I would have pitched it, and I would have built the product that worked on my boat. I wouldn't have gone and asked all those customers and figured out what all they want, like what product they wanted. We actually went through four full product iterations before we got to where we're at right now, where it's like, this is a releasable product that we could sell to people, but then it's like, okay, we've actually realized, no, we've missed some critical pieces or we have too few of these types of inputs or we have too many of this other type of input. We just kept optimizing and optimizing and I feel like if I'd gone for investment right away, I would have picked the first thing and run with that and probably would have just driven a million dollars into the ground. Yeah. yeah. It's a really interesting, you know, thing taking money and, and where that can take mm -hmm. you or lead you. You know, yeah. I think both good and bad. Of but course, it, it, yeah, it yeah. Probably would be a different company today. It people. would, yeah, yeah. Like we'd probably have an office. We'd have all sorts of stuff going on, and maybe you know what? I could be completely wrong too. Like I just, I I try not to do the whole hindsight is twenty twenty piece, but I like to to make a decision, stick with it, and uh, pursue that. Like go with it, because right now, if I consider going for investment now or or thinking back, oh, I wish I'd done that, then it's just time wasted that I can't get back. So I just need to make my decision and move forward. Right. Seems like a great way to operate as an mm -hmm. entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. Right. Obviously pivot when you realize you made the wrong decision, which I do every day as well. <laughs> but um, yeah, just being very strong uh, with that. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you talk quite a bit about um, family support and mm -hmm. friends and, and the Biotech community in Victoria yeah. and, and, and those sorts of things. So I know Sean. Uh, yep, Battistoni, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I've had a couple conversations with him more recently, but I know him from soccer and competitive sports. Got it. What is his role at the company? Mm -hmm. And then, how, like, is he kind of like your number two, your number one, whatever, uh, however you classify yeah, him? Yeah, it's, uh, so it's an interesting relationship, to be completely honest. So. Um, we received, a, a, we got a distributor on board, so he received a call from a, a group called Archipelago in Victoria, and they said, uh, hey, we're looking at this product out of Europe, and uh, it's a boat monitoring thing called Watching Man. And uh, Sean's like, oh yeah, like that's very interesting, cool. And then I went and pitched him as like the GM of Ope Marine Group, like, hey, we've got this product, it's a boat monitoring product. And so he called the Archipelago guys and was like, hey, Archipelago, like, stop what you're doing, this product's been done, it's here in town, locally, local guy, like, do this. So he's actually a full-time employee of Archipelago, but we get to use him as a contractor no through way. Barnacle, so he gets to represent. So this is, again, the support of the local community. This is a company in town that is supporting Barnacle with a hat, which is awesome. So he's great for the market validation, the market research, because of his background, 
Then we also have our software developer, Nick, Nick Van Duren, who was here since like, I think it was week number two when I hired him as a contractor. He's been around since the very, very beginning. So, I mean, between the three of us, like Sean's been advising from a marina's standpoint since like a month in. Nick's been around since like day 10 type thing. So, I mean, we're all, we don't like the titles piece and all that and the number one, number two and all sure. that, but we all have very specific strengths and Nick's is very, very technical and he's incredible. I, I worked with him at FTS as a co-op student actually. And then my skills very much in uh, the product management, figuring out what people want, building that and then marketing and getting it in front of people. And then Sean's skill is obviously selling, but um, understanding the boating market and uh, I'm a sailor, he's a fisherman. They're two <laughs> very different markets within one larger market. So, so yeah, no, I'd, I'd say that those are like the three like core people, but um, yeah, it was definitely like Brandon and Nick and then Sean came on as an advisor and then now we've got this amazing sweetheart deal that eventually we hope to convert into him as a full-time with Barnacle. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the strength of the team is you do have a small team, but yeah. it seems like you've all got very complementary skills. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, just within that, you know, as a, for a small team, mm -hmm. um, how do you spend time working on vision and strategy for yeah. where the company's going rather than the real tactical stuff? Yeah. And, and sorry, just to add on that, where is Barnacle going? You know, like mm -hmm. you talk about, you know, 20, 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you yeah. Going to be in five years, 10 years. Yeah. What's the, what's the BAG? Um, so the 15, 20 year kind of thing, the vision of the company is to be the company that people think about when they think of security for boats. So there are competitors in the monitoring space where it's like bilge, batteries, shore power, the basics of like the health of the boat, but there's this massive gap in the security side. So we want to be the cam the live streaming cameras, the photographs, the all that. So when you walk into our booth at a boat show, it's like we've walked into like a security company. So that's our vision. In terms of the day-to-day -day and keeping that vision alive, um, we talk a lot about our upcoming products. Like we're going to launch a, a pro version. We're going to launch a light version of the product. So to go after those 60, 70, 80, 90-foot boats and also go after the jet skis and the outboard motors and all that which um, I know that our competition's doing as well. But um, we keep an eye on all of that on our day-to-day -day and we try and make decisions that are gonna sort of outlive, like if one of us leaves tomorrow, like we've still set everything up through our, like our GitHub or through our documentation or through all of that, we're trying to maintain that we're gonna outlive the product, or the product's gonna outlive us. Right. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. yeah. So leaving that foundation for the company is not too reliant on just one person's expertise or knowledge. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So that's been a big deal because being a small team, like if I get hit by a bus, if Nick gets hit by a bus or Sean, anyone, um, that's a big hit. But we've got everything well documented so that someone could go in and replace us yeah. potentially, um, which for good or for better or for worse, we've done that. So. And what markets are you in? Um, like I this moment, are you guys in Canada, North America as a whole? Man, so <laughs> we're in Canada right now. I really wanted to focus on Vancouver Island. Um, most of our sales have been in Vancouver, which is fine, which is great. <laughs> but um, we've gotten a lot of attention. Like we've yeah. done, we've done really well in terms of like being a, a growth company right now. We got on the world's largest sailing podcast. So now we've sold units in Spain, France, Portugal. Nice all over, uh, lots of stuff going on in the United States. 
And we've partnered with the World Cruising Club, which has 60,000 uh, boaters as members, paying members. Um, we share a house with them when we go to the Annapolis Boat Show. I mean, we've, we've done a strategy as a boating company where boats are so far behind the house, they're so far behind the car, we've realized that the boating marketing is as well far behind. There's mm -hmm. influencers within the boating market that are influencers on social media and all that. But when we reach out to them, they're like, oh, you're the first ever boating company that has reached out to us to promote a product. Like there's some celebrity sailors that came from uh, uh, Sweden and they actually ended up in Victoria recently. We helped host their um, seminar talk they did here in Victoria at Spinnaker's. Um, and I was like, man, can we get a barnacle on your boat? Like, we'd love to promote you guys. And if you wouldn't mind promoting us in return, they're like, the only other companies that have offered this are underwear companies and watch companies. You're the first marine company to actually reach out to us and offer that. So our strategy has been to go to those influencers. And now 80% of our revenue has been through these influencers that recommend our product because they have it on their boat. So. Interesting. That that brings it to another question on like I really love the name. Like, yeah. It's like it's so perfect. Uh, um, how, how did you come up with that? Uh, and, and... Yeah, yeah. So it, I know I know who's listening to this and who's gonna be just laughing as I have to tell the story now. But um, the my mortal enemy. Uh, <laughs> 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 we were doing like a strategy session. His name's Jonathan, and uh, we were doing a strategy session where we were just like what should this thing be called? And he's a, he's like a marketing savant. It pains me to say it, but he's very, very good at marketing. And um, uh, we just sat down. It's like, what should we call this thing? Like, man, he's like something that's rugged, that's always on a boat, that you always see on boats. Barnacles. Like, oh, damn it. Like, no, don't say that, because that's awesome. And he's like, what's a good tagline? Like, for what, for what you're attached to. It's like, oh, oh man. <laughs> So we, we ended up dropping the tagline because it didn't explain the product or sure. anything, but the BRNK, the barnacle pieces, the name of the company were barnacle systems spelt properly. The product is BRNKL and that was, it's a risk, a marketing risk, but what we've learned from it, so the reason we chose a K out of it instead of a C was because K is like a power letter in the marketing world and BRNKL is kind of that nod to the Brooklyn, like BR, what, yeah. I can't really do that, BRKLYN or something. And we just thought it was kind of cool, and it was very trendy. And um, what we've learned, though, like we've had some people be like, mm, "No, not stoked. Like, don't like BRMKL." But then we've had a lot of people come by our booth or come by and be like, "Oh, you know what that says? Do you know what that means?" And people are like, "Oh, Brinkle." Like, oh, <laughs> that's like deep pain. But then they're like, "No, it's actually Barnacle." And then they go and tell someone else, and they're like, "Oh, have you seen that Barnacle?" And yeah, see the low. Yeah, it's actually Barnacle. And then. It's been this like kind of weird, not viral, but this weird thing where people are actually introducing and talking about the name because it's kind of weird. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I'm the first to say that it was a risk and who knows, it might do a rebrand one day. I don't, I don't know. But right now we're stuck with it. It's one of those decisions that I've made and we're just giving her. Yeah. Well, it, it, it makes sense from the startup world to have a name like that, mm -hmm. like kind of weirdly spelled. And then totally. I think it's, is it barnacle.io? Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. Um, which is very startup. Yeah. Ask, but then potentially your market, like who you're mm -hmm. marketing to, yeah. has, they, they don't understand influencer marketing, they yeah. don't understand the startup world, totally. the coolness of the name, yeah. they're a little bit... So the BRNKL somehow sounds way bigger than a startup to these people. 
So there's Brinks, the big like security van yeah, company, yeah, yeah. and a lot of them have jumped right to that. And they're like, oh, I thought you were owned by Garmin, or oh, I thought you were owned by like Fleer, like Raymarine. It's like, no, 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 we're like a small company. Like, oh, I thought from like your branding and from your marketing that you were a really big company. It's like, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> so they actually don't see us as a startup. And from a PR perspective, we don't want to be seen as a start. Like we do, like we won the startup award and that's awesome. We want to market that. But people don't want a startup to secure their boat. They don't want to start up to buy right, that yeah. $2 million yeah. vessel. So somehow the BRMKL has made us sound much bigger than we are at this time. We do want to grow. We want to be huge, obviously. But yeah, it's been a weird kind of thing that's happened. Cool. Um, just on that, how big is the company? In terms of revenue and all that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we got our big shipment of product. Oh, in January of this year. So we've, let's just say that we've, in the past month, we made 80% of our, or sorry, 40% of 2018's revenue in one month. Wow. Um, we spent about 20,000 or $200,000 to get where we are right now. And uh, we are going to likely be profitable this year. So yeah, yeah, as a startup where it's a hardware-based company, iterating, doing it as carefully as possible. Um, yeah, like we're in the six figures of revenue, we're not in the seven figures, that's for sure. But yeah. we're still small. But uh, yeah, having only received our hardware a few months ago, like a month and a half ago, um, we're doing quite well. And after winning that innovation award at the Vancouver Boat Show, uh, we were interviewed for five magazines. We've been now nominated for the best product for Boating Industry Canada. Um, we've got uh, more influencers that are now involved. And we've got five retailers that want to buy inventory right now and put it on their shelves just here in Victoria and Southern Vancouver Island. So, so yeah, it's tough to like reflect on our revenue from last year because we weren't fully launched yet, right. but now we're at a point where like we've generated basically that revenue in one month. Mm -hmm. So it's great. Yeah. So as you guys grow and you touch a bit on the, you know, we have the hardware and the software, so there's the logistics involved with all that, but you, you're doing well, making waves, if you yep. will. Yeah, <laughs> love it. And uh, what's been your biggest challenge as a company, as a, as a solo mm -hmm. founder, those last two years? Oh man, it's uh, the biggest challenge is really, like from a hardware perspective, it's just building hardware that works and that can get certifications, like all the FCC, all the all that stuff uh, on a small team is extremely difficult. Um, uh, in terms of managing burnout we've definitely experienced it within our company it's something that we need to manage a little bit better too because i personally can manage it um, some of our contractors have struggled with it um, yeah it's it's something that we need to keep an eye on so that i'd say is the biggest one is sometimes i'll forget that i thrive in chaos like i can handle it and i have a very regimented schedule but um, we've wanted to have that kind of startup mentality where it's free range, work from wherever, work whatever hours you want, but then it turns into, oh, you just worked 20 hours and now you're like hangry and tired and all of that. So it's managing, trying to set up a foundation of mentoring in a way that I, I can be helpful instead of just uh, let everyone go free range and then potentially hurt themselves. So, so that's something that uh, has been a struggle and something that we're actively working on. Yeah, so I definitely appreciate you sharing all that stuff. I just have one last question for you. If you were to start today, mm -hmm. uh, what would you do differently? What would you oh, change? Man. 
I was asked this question this past weekend too, and I really struggle with it, to be honest. Um, what would I do differently? I would, I don't know. I mean, so far, I, I don't know. This is a really tough question, to be honest. I mean, in terms of the decisions that we've made, I feel like we've made good decisions so far. We're growing well. We're, I would say that if we were to change anything, I probably would have understood some parts of business a little bit better before getting into it, like the finance side, perhaps, like studied that more, because I'm an engineer, I was a product manager, but going into it and not being a CPA or CA, I don't even know the difference between them, yeah. still. So uh, <laughs> I think understanding the accounting side better would have been extremely helpful, because um, like even just like the payroll stuff, remittance and all that, like I went into it having no concept of any of that stuff, so. Right. Yeah, there was a big learning curve for me on that. And uh, as a result, I got audited uh, by CRA for uh, payroll stuff. And I was like, oh, and it all went really well. But it was just like, yeah, I'm sorry. And they were humans talking to another human being like, I know that I've made a mistake here and help me help yeah. myself and so that we can grow together. Yeah. Well, you so, just don't know what you don't know. But I've, I've, that's exactly it. Yeah. You, know, you know, as you were talking, trying to answer that question, you know, mm -hmm. it makes me think that Product management is such a valuable skill, yeah. and you kind of just take something and you, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. e evolve it. You just kind of put something out there, and then you yeah. correct it. And so, yeah. you know, the journey is the journey, and there's not really a lot to change. Yeah, you know, I don't regret anything. Yeah, that's for sure. Like I wouldn't change the product the way it is right now. I mean, obviously, there's things I'd like to do, but that's what accessories are for. That's what upcharging and <laughs> adding new features to an like a, a add-on accessory. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, and then building on that suite of products, right? As you mentioned, mm -hmm. expanding that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Great. Well, uh, again, thanks a lot for your time. Really appreciate you sharing the story. Uh, stories. Yeah. <laughs> it was really great. Really insightful. I had no idea. So one of the things that's most interesting about this is to get the story. You know, I figured mm -hmm. you're just a, you know, someone who likes boats. Yeah. There's a lot more behind that. So I appreciate you, you digging in and talking about that. Uh, thanks a lot to the listeners for tuning in. Uh, definitely check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, so wherever you can find us. And also check out our website at 20mile.co or follow us uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram at 20mileco. And until then, keep marching on.